Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast, an extension of our adult Sunday school ministry and stories of grace. Pastor Brandon here, along with Pastor Steve. Hey there. And we are committed to utilizing this platform to continue our church's rich tradition of deep theological teaching through our adult Sunday school ministry. Though this unique season of following Jesus has not been without its share of challenges, we hope that you will tune in weekly to dive deeper into the scriptures as we hear from the vast array of teachers that we are blessed to call family here at Grace Church. Good morning and welcome to the Grace Church podcast. We are so thankful that you have joined us here today and we are thankful that you have joined us here uh, throughout our time. Uh, Just before we get into uh, today's podcast, I wanted to uh, share that uh, we are, we're going to be ending the podcast here uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, This has kind of been the plan uh, we've always announced it, as you can hear on the uh, the intro music, that this is our fall Sunday school podcast, and, and as part of that, our fall Sunday school quarter ends in uh, the month of November. So starting in December, uh, we, we will uh, discontinue the podcast, uh, but be on the lookout. You, you just don't know what, <laughs> what the future has for the podcast, and uh, probably won't look the same, but, uh, but who knows? We'll see what the Lord does, and and uh, in providing uh, an avenue like this. But either way, we are thankful that, that you have chosen to continue uh, to listen and uh, hear from uh, what, what we would definitely describe as just solid Bible teaching, and we're thankful uh, for this avenue that we've been able to, to spend. So uh, I'm Pastor Steve, joined again by uh, Pastor Brandon, and this week we have Ben Fletter, Dr. Ben Fletter, who's joining us and going to be sharing from uh, Matthew uh, chapter 5, and um, going to be looking at a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. So, uh, Ben, why don't you take it from here, and then we'll do Q&R follow-up afterwards. Well, thank you, Steve and Brandon. It's good to be back with you again and uh, to have this time to share together. Uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount is uh, is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. I think that's true for a lot of people, um, and it's it's one of the most uh, significant portions of Scripture in that it's a it's a cohesive discourse by Jesus that we have recorded, particularly in Matthew five, six, and seven, where he touches on so many topics, and it's it's obviously worth. Uh, lots of our attention. I think we uh, we read it uh, often, and uh, sometimes I, I think, though, that perhaps we don't give it uh, enough attention. Um, I was reading it recently in Matthew 5 and uh, came to this section on salt and light that we're going to discuss and focus on today. And it just had one of those aha moments that uh, you sometimes have when reading Scripture, where I, I saw it in a little bit different light than I had before, no pun intended. <laughs> and um, and so I'd like to share that today and focus on that passage. Let's just start by reading uh, Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. Jesus says to his followers, "'You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste,' How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When I read that recently, I, um, I thought about this familiar passage that I've read many times before, but uh, I thought, what is, uh, what is he talking about with salt and light? And uh, the first thing that occurred to me is that this is, this is setting really at a, at a key point in the Sermon on the Mount. It's right at the beginning, right after the Beatitudes. And so I really wanted to think about this in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, and then more broadly to think about this, this whole sermon in the context of Jesus' call to discipleship. And so uh, as we think about that, we think, of course, of uh, Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. So let's just read that. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So in the Great Commission, which again is very familiar to us, we see Jesus really calling his disciples to do two things. Uh, first, to baptize, which uh, I think we could uh, say includes, it's really the initiation into the faith, so it includes um, uh, teaching, preaching the gospel, uh, calling people to faith in Christ, and then baptizing them, initiating them into the body of Christ. And then secondly, teaching them, and he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And when I see that passage, there's a real connection to um, this Sermon on the Mount and the salt and the light concept. And so that's what I'd like to explore a little bit further. So in Matthew 5, 13 to 16, Jesus talks about salt and light. And the first thing is, is salt, and salt is a common element, and in, especially in, um, in Jesus' time, was a critical element. And, and people have said salt does really two main things. First, it's a preservative, and we don't think of that now. Um, you know, we have, you know, salted meats and things sometimes beef jerky probably has uh, some salt in it and things like that but in but we can have lots of ways to preserve meat freezers refrigerators and so forth uh, but they didn't back then and so salt was a key preservative and it kept things uh, longer so that they could be of use and not spoil and the second thing is it's it's a flavor and uh, you know when you think about flavor you think about food and um the senses that we enjoy food. Uh, think for a minute of, of uh, a time when you had a particularly good meal and you, um, you just savor it. You just, you know, take that bite and maybe you, you, you smell it as you're beginning to take it into your mouth and you, you just uh, hold it there for a bit and, 
and enjoy that flavor. And really, flavor is a, is something in the senses, and it it's related to the concept of beauty. You know, when we, we see things, something that's beautiful, we hear something. I was listening to music on the way over here in the car, and it was it was beautiful. Well, flavor is is really beauty to the taste, and um, and so salt has those elements. And and what is interesting that Jesus says is that if if it loses that that element, if it loses its saltiness, um, it's it's worthless. Um, another way to, to say that maybe is its purpose is its essence. Um, or maybe a little clearer, its, its reason for being is its essential quality and character. And so the question is uh, that that immediately comes to mind when I think of that is, what is the essential quality and character of a follower of Jesus that makes him or her um, useful in the world and makes that, that allows us to fill what fulfill what we're what we're here for? I'll tell you a funny story recently. Um, uh, when Jackie and I get up in the morning, I it, I usually make the coffee. And we both really enjoy coffee, but Jackie, like, really enjoys coffee. And she likes it strong. So uh, recently I got up in the morning, and I usually get up a little bit earlier, and I made the coffee, and then she came out, and and I was sipping my coffee and just uh, having a little quiet time and really enjoying it. And she poured her cup, and she said, I can't taste this coffee. And now when you say that, in 2020, <laughs> I can't taste this. Um, then th- th- immediately I thought, okay, so she has COVID now. But um, as it turned out, I said, you mean I just made it too weak? Because sometimes I do that. She said, I just can't taste it. It tastes like just a hot drink. And I said, uh, okay. Um, that really makes me nervous. I'm I'm wondering about uh, whether you've got this virus. And as she said, no, you know what? I'm just going to make a new pot. And so she took this whole fresh pot of coffee that I had made, minus <laughs> a couple of cups, and she just dumped it out <laughs> in the sink and started to make a new pot. And and it occurred to me, you know, if coffee doesn't have its taste, it's it's not good for anything. Maybe the caffeine, but, you know. Um, so anyway, she made a new pot of coffee, made it her way, and, and she took the first sip. And, of course, I'm sitting there waiting. Please <laughs> tell me that you can taste it. And she said, yep, that tastes just great. And so I said, okay, it was my weak coffee and not uh, and not the virus. But it reminded me of this passage. When salt loses its essence, it it loses its essence, and uh, and we can be the same way. Then next, Jesus says, uh, "You are the light of the world, uh, and uh, a light cannot be hidden." Um, it wouldn't make sense to to hide the light. Um, 
a city on a hill can't be hidden. Um, so, he says, let your light shine so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father uh, who is in heaven. And so that brought up a similar question, and that is, what are the good works that constitute the light of believers? We don't think a lot or talk a lot about good works. Sometimes we're afraid of uh, giving them too much emphasis, understandably. We understand that we are saved by grace and not in any way by our works. But Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about good works and what that means and and what the significance of good works are. And so the question is, what are the good works that he's talking about that constitute our light that shines before men and causes them to glorify the Father? And as I looked at that passage um, and, and thought about where it is, it's right here in the middle of... Um, the Sermon on the Mount. And so the first place to look of where those good works are and what they are is right there in the sermon. So let's just think about this Sermon on the Mount um, in, in a little different way. The first section is the Beatitudes, very familiar. And, and really the Beatitudes, um, there, there's several ways to think about this, but one of the ways that, that I think is very helpful that some have pointed out is it's really a, a values reversal. It, it says, um, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, the poor in spirit weren't blessed in the, the eyes of the people then, and they, they aren't in the eyes of the people now, but Jesus says, in my kingdom, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You may be you, another way to say that one. I think uh, sort of translation of that would be those who can't get justice. Mm. Blessed are and Jesus said in in my kingdom, blessed are are they. So, and then blessed are you when you're persecuted, when people revile you, speak evil of you. Rejoice and, and give thanks because your Father um, in heaven will, will give you your reward. So the, the Beatitudes announced this reversal of values. The kingdom of God is something very new. And right then afterwards, he hears this passage about salt and light, sets the stage for the sermon. Um, this really begins to talk about how God's kingdom will grow and catch fire, and how it's going to impact the world. And he says, you're going to have an essential quality, a preservative, a flavoring quality in the world that if, if you allow that to work, will have its effect. And if you lose that essential quality, you're not going to be serving your, the purpose that you were intended for. And then light, your light is, will be a, a city on the hill. And then he goes into the whole Sermon on the Mount, and, and when you look at what comes next, it's, um, it's, it's really kind of interesting, too, because immediately after this passage about salt and light, Jesus says, now, wait a minute, D 
don't think that anything I'm going to say is going to um, is going to abolish or counteract the the law and the prophets. So he he sets the context very clear and he affirms the scriptures that everything in the scripture is is critical to what we're going to say and how I'm going to talk about living. It's just that maybe you haven't you haven't appreciated in the in the way that you should. Um, so. Uh, He's going to explain the scriptures to us, but everything is based on the scripture. And so he gives this, this foundational high view of the scriptures in just starting out. So he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, not a punctuation mark, you might say, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, what's it mean that our righteousness needs to exceed that? Of the rights of the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, I think two things jump out. We we often and I think rightly go to the fact that um, you know our righteousness is going to have to be a righteousness that doesn't come from us. It's going to have to come from Christ. So we think about the imputed righteousness of Christ coming to us, and clearly from um, from the scriptures from the law and the prophets through to the New Testament, we understand that um, we are not saved by our own works or righteousness in any sense, but uh, by the righteousness of Christ that we receive by faith. But I think it's that doesn't negate the fact that there is a way that our righteousness needs to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees in a practical way, in a way that works out in our lives. Um, what was the, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? It was, it was superficial. It was parsed out. You, you know, you need to do this and maybe not so much that. And, um, and it was legalistic. And it always put them in the best light, and it always they used it to, to condemn others while they praised themselves. But Jesus is going to teach us in the Sermon on the Mount that our righteousness needs to be a righteousness of the heart, a righteousness that starts inside because we're being changed, and it's genuine, and then it works out. And so the letter of the law doesn't get ignored but the spirit of the law produces in us the righteousness of Christ. Um, so when you think about that, then we look at the Sermon on the Mount, and, and it just opens up that this is a, uh, in, in a very real way, this is a plan for discipleship. Um, and, and I'm not sure that I've seen a discipleship program or a book on discipleship that really used the Sermon on the Mount as a central 
uh, a text. And I wonder if maybe it should be. Um, so maybe as we get into our Q&R, we can uh, open that up and talk about it a little bit more.